Hey everybody, Matt Camp here with Deal Machine. Uh, we're proud to team up with Tom Zeeb here to give you guys a ton of free stuff. So our goal here is to give you the free toolkit to get out there and start finding off-market deals. Um, we're proud to say we're the highest rated and most reviewed app out there to go find off-market deals. And we've had over 10,000 deals done using the Deal Machine app. Now, when you download it, you can get it for free at tomzeeb.com slash dealmachine, and you'll get a seven-day free trial with that. And jumping into Deal Machine, you'll be able to go out there, start driving for dollars, start pulling lists, start finding the most motivated sellers in your market. And then you can start marketing to them directly. You can skip trace, you can send them postcards, you can knock on their door. There's a variety of things that we can help you out with using our technology. And then from there, you can actually evaluate the deals, You know, comp it, use our AI assistant to help you out there as well. You really to get the full toolkit to go from you know having no real estate experience to landing your first deal using technology. So it's tomzeeb.com slash deal machine for that free trial. With it, if you go through that link, you're going to get $30 free in marketing credits that cover a couple hundred free skip traces or 50 free postcards, give you everything that you need to start reaching out to sellers. So um, get out there and happy deal finding. You find that there's a lot of people out here who just hold on to these properties. They're sometimes boarded up, they're paying fees to the city to cut the grass and things like that, but they won't sell them. And I just, I have no phantom. Only in America does stuff like this happen. Real estate negotiation is a mystery to most people. It doesn't come naturally and it isn't taught in school, yet it's the key to getting what you want in business and life. If you're ready to learn the art and science of effective real estate negotiation and want to learn what it takes to become a successful real estate entrepreneur, then you're in the right place. This is the art and science of real estate negotiation with your host, founder of Traction Real Estate Mentors and president of the Traction Real Estate Investors Association, Tom Zeeb. Welcome back to the Art and Science of Real Estate Negotiation podcast with Tom Zeeb. Today, I'm interviewing a successful student of mine, Bob Irwin. Bob, how are you? Great. It's a good day, man. I think so. So, Bob, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from and what do you do? Well, I got the spirit of Abraham and none of his stuff. Cleveland, Ohio, New York, Charlottesville, Virginia, and now High Point, North Carolina. Been here for the last 22 years. Excellent. And what are you doing in terms of real estate investing? I've been doing this for several years now. Right now, you had asked the question what my most recent project is. I just purchased a three-bedroom, two-full-bath house on two acres with a pool and a three-car garage. It has an apartment downstairs that is a two-one as well. So that's a bonus. It's not on the tax card. Nice. What turns into a deal? What was, was there a special story behind it, motivated seller or something? Well, something I picked up a tip from you, Tom. When I saw you back in November, the idea was is that I was looking for ways to bring in new opportunities, so on and so forth. And you made mention of Craigslist. And I found this property on Craigslist. You asked to have your students practice on Craigslist in terms of calling and talking to sellers, whether you got the opportunity or not. But I just happened to wander upon this opportunity seven miles from my house. And so I'm in full swing with it. Good old Craigslist. You know, Bob, I, I remember telling you guys at the time, use it for practice because I'm trying to get 
some discipline of just making the calls, getting it down. Don't expect anything to come out of it. It's an ugly, horrible website. Everything's backwards. The people are usually out of their mind. But that doesn't mean there's not a chance. That's right. And either way, you get practice along the way. So terrific. When we initially met, you were in real estate before you started with me, correct? Yes, I've been doing this since about 2007 or so. And what do you specialize in? I found a groove in distressed properties, vacant properties, poor city properties. As I mentioned, I live in central North Carolina. Can I mention the name of the city? Sure. Okay, High Point, North Carolina. Awesome. And I haven't had a full-time job for the last seven or eight years, but I've been digging hard everything from driving for dollars to sending out magic letters. One of the reasons why I signed up with you was is that you had those 85 different ways to contact the seller. And I've been using at least 79 of them along the way. <laughs> so yeah, those different magic letters, the magic letters have worked for me in the past, so on and so forth. But I enjoy it. And vacant property, niches, tall grass, broken windows, abandoned cars, code violations, and things like that. Long as somebody's living close by, nearby that property, you can find a way to find that owner and take over that property. Absolutely. So you're finding a niche within vacant and messed up houses, situations that are difficult, and just finding them in many of the classic ways. Yes. It's very interesting. You find that there's a lot of people out here who just hold on to these properties. They're sometimes boarded up. They're paying fees to the city to cut the grass and things like that, but they won't sell them. And I just, I have no phantom. Only in America does stuff like this happen. <laughs> People hang on to properties that aren't doing them any good and are just no. costing them money. Oh, and then on the other side, I find I deal a whole lot, Tom, with, Tom Brokaw's greatest generation. I don't want to take advantage of anybody and don't want to make that analogy along the way. But bottom line here is that there's a lot of people who are aging out and are retired landlords, especially after COVID and things like that. You know, they didn't get paid. Some of the people are tearing up their houses and things like that. And you reach out to some of these folks who own dozens and dozens of properties and they'll sell you a couple of them. That's for sure. That's not taking advantage of anyone. I'm glad you brought that up because a lot of people think, oh, it's evil investors. You know, you hear stuff on the news, people, oh, investors are messing up the market. Investors are screwing everything up. They're out there taking advantage of people. Really? I don't find it to be that way at all. If you deal with someone from the greatest generation, they're getting older, they, they need to divest, they want money to continue to live on, and they're selling off the fruits of their labors over the years, and they're doing it willingly. And then you're helping them because you're taking it off their hands and it becomes your investment now. They get the money to be able to fund the balance of their life. I don't see what's well, wrong with that. What I found, Tom, is that in a lot of cases, the baby boomers, such as myself, latchkey kids and XYZ, millennials and stuff like that, they don't want to be landlords. <laughs> they don't want the headaches and, you know, to fix this, to fix that, to hurt the cats, which I call contractors. They don't want to hurt those cats. But what they do want is to be able to send their grandchildren to college, to be able to pay for a wedding, to be able to buy their granddaughter that new BMW, to be able to fund their great-grandchild's college and things like that. And I'm helping them. 
yeah, that's win, win, win all the way around. There's no way about that. And, but again, some people, they're not going to believe it till you try it, till you see, you see it in motion that people are, they're happy with us and we become the only solution that would work for them. So it's not a bad thing at all. Absolutely. So you've been in a while. Did you hesitate? I mean, did you hesitate to get involved in a program like mine? No. Why not? Because I saw your enthusiasm. I like it. I like the energy. I like emails are coming all the time, left and right. And I'm reading some I don't get through all the time because I'm busy and stuff like that. But the idea is, is that I like the energy. I don't want to be the smartest guy in the room. You're smarter than me. Gotcha. <laughs> oh, you're very flattering. That's fine. It's consistency. I'm trying to teach a lesson in consistency so that my students and followers learn that consistency and apply that to their businesses because that's what makes a difference, particularly in marketing. Absolutely. I think also patience. I don't think you get a lot of newbies and stuff like that. I don't pray for patience. I use it. The idea is that sometimes, and I've won a couple of opportunities where it was a year, 14, 15 months before I got that call. And when I did, I had to go back and look through my registry of notes and calls and so forth to determine where Mrs. Smith, that house was, what's the address, who are you, and all this kind of stuff. And you have to have patience to go back. Patience, like you said, consistency as well, in terms of recording conversations, not necessarily like we're doing now, but with pencil and paper, and go back and figure out, okay, well, where was this house at? Why was it vacant? So on and so forth, and win that opportunity. Because sometimes you're saying they contact you long after you had initially contacted them. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, I've had several of them. It takes a while. That letter may sit on the refrigerator for six months, 90 days, even a year before somebody comes back and says, okay, well, I'm ready to sell now. Yeah, you plant the seed with your first round of marketing. And then sometimes they're hanging on to that. They're waiting for it to grow. So a lot of times the repetition of your marketing will trigger that memory. Or it's another constant reminder. It's another, you know, drip, drip, ping, ping. Yes. That, oh, yeah, I still got to do something about selling this property. Oh, I should call this guy. And might I add, that's one of the things about the 85 different letters, because there's, you know, you send out a letter once and then you modify it a little bit. You might say, OK, well, it's the end of summer like it is or end of spring now, like it is now. And kids are getting out of school. You need a vacation. You need to sell that house. Or school starting, kids need a new pair of shoes. You need to sell that house. Or holidays are coming along, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and everybody can't forget about January 1 when you got taxes coming up. You got to sell that house. I like how no matter what it is, the answer is you got to sell that house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you got to sell that house to me right now. Let's get yeah, this done. Yeah. Some of these, it's just you ask about a niche and things of that nature. I've just found that. When you find that one piece of property that is sitting there driving for dollars, deal makers, whatever, but when you find that one piece of property, you keep hitting and hitting and hitting and staying consistent, as you mentioned, persistent and having a little bit of patience that often wins you that opportunity. It's nice that way. What do you keep your deal flow at? About, do you have, you have some averages after all these years of being in the business? Well, it comes and goes. 
some years there's three or four I've aimed for as many as 24 in a year. And I've got maybe half a dozen and those half a dozen have been real winners. Sometimes when you get like, say for instance, this two acre piece of property, I've got guys over there cleaning it out now and I'll go by and check on them. I give them an incentive to get it done straight away because I have a contractor coming in on Friday because I want to know what I bought because the place is like piled up with trash and junk and all that kind of stuff. The point that I'm trying to make here is, is that I don't get a whole lot of consistency. That's why I came with you, but a half a dozen, three, four really good winners in a year, whether it be a wholesale or a keeper is good for me. I'm not looking to run a giant sized business with employees and all that kind of stuff. I don't blame you. To me, that's no lifestyle. No. I'm glad you brought up the consistently inconsistent results in the business of a lot of marketing, because that's something a lot of people struggle with. It's like, oh, this didn't work instantly. This didn't work magically. This didn't work immediately. It doesn't work consistently. How do you come to grips with the fact that this is a consistently inconsistent business? People are going to tell you no every day, sometimes three or four times a day. And it doesn't matter how they say it and what tone it is, whatever. It's just the fact that I didn't say it right. I didn't put it in the right form. You know, somebody, I had a guy that I made an offer to over here in central North Carolina, nice house, corner lot, but he was living with three dogs in the house. The house was horrible. I went and I told him, I said, hey, why would you want to sell a, a nice house like this? And it smelled to high heavens and stuff. <laughs> and I just tried to compliment him and all this kind of stuff. He had no idea of, I was thinking like subject to something of that nature, or you know, to just offer him a, a little bit of cash and keep going from there. And he told me no. And then next thing I know, I find out that another wholesaler had the, the house on his website. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. I hope you get paid, but I'm moving on. <laughs> yeah. It just, I mean, I didn't explain something right to him uh, or we didn't make that connection. Let's dig into that more since this is the art and science of real estate negotiation podcast. The beginning phases of negotiation are, it's the communication phase. You're pinpointing the person's problem. You're starting to dig deeper and start peeling off layers of the onion. So how is it that you open up conversations with motivated sellers? Well, number one, I don't come in charging, you know, taking pictures and all this kind of stuff. I had a friend of mine tell me, and I've been in sales, in industrial control sales for a long time. It's a four-letter word, forum, friends and family, occupation, recreation, and then you talk money. So the idea is, is that I come in friendly. Hey, how you doing? Oh, I see a picture of your family over here on the wall, or you got a dog, you had a cat. I had a cat too. My wife has a cat. I don't have a cat. A bird, things like that. Uh, somebody is into a hobby. You create a relationship with them. Occupation. What did you do in life? How, you know, especially if it's an older person, they might have been a school teacher. They might have been a dentist. They may have been a doctor. Talk about some of that stuff. Whether you know about it or not, you just talk about it. And then recreation. You know, are you into sports? Do you like the Panthers? Do you like 
the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Do you like basketball? Do you like football? Whatever that season is in, you come in with a mind frame that if they start talking about sports, you're going to know and you let them talk. Then you talk about money. Gotcha. So get them in conversation, loosen them up, small talk. Yes, and absolutely. Then, and then slowly kind of move over into the business of the day. That's correct. Oh, yeah. You know, this is a nice kitchen, no matter what it looks like. This is a <laughs> nice all, garage. It's, it's nice oh, to got, them. <laughs> you got a nice car over here. Oh, yeah. You raise your kids in this house? Oh, yeah. You know, what school did they go to? So you learn a little bit about their family relationships and things of that nature. Like you said, small talk. Small talk. And then as you move into talking business and talking money, what kinds of negotiation techniques are you using to start to get the price moving in the direction you need it? Well, number one is that I'll say, okay, I've done a little bit of research on this house. I know a little bit about the area, things of that nature. What do you think? I think in a negotiation, the first one that says a number typically loses. And I've had a guy, I'll tell you a quick story. Two ladies in church, they came to me and said that this owner of the property was going to die and his son was going to sell it. The guy passed away. The son calls me up and I could hear him pounding on the other end of the phone. I want XDX amount of money for this house, XDX amount of money for this house. And I did some research on it and I found out where the house was. It was a great neighborhood. I mean, there was a farm across the street. They had animals running around. There's a $300,000 cul-de-sac down the street, all this kind of stuff. And I drove over there in the dark to see this place. And bottom line is that his number was like, it was golden, Tom. It was really golden. And bottom line, I ended up getting the house and I made a good piece of change off of it. And he was happy. And we're friends today. So talking about how to get to that number, sometimes you have to have a hard conversation with people. I've lost some properties because the people were stuck on a given number, especially after COVID. A dollar's not a dollar anymore. And they put a dollar number on it and I try and whittle them down. Okay, well, this is not, you know, you might need a roof on this house or whatever the case might be. Another issue is that another story is that I had an opportunity to buy six houses and a blank lot earlier this year. And I missed out on it because their number was here and my number was here. They weren't into seller financing or anything like that. So we just moved on. Sometimes you got to move on. See, that's an important point too, because a lot of people always want to talk success. We talk about our successes, only our successes, as if there's no failures along the way. One thing I want people to understand is that you're going to take a lot of, you said earlier, a lot of people are going to tell you, no, you're going to take a lot of no's but you're going to have a lot of failed deals along the way the successful ones. It's all not all magic wine and roses. Not all great. No. So how do you handle that? I've had people curse at me before when I've given them a number. I've tried the traction way, not seeing a house and giving them a number. And I didn't hear back from them. So I kind of knew that number was small. But I've also, you know, you just, you, you, you can't take it personal. When you go into that forum thing, the friends, the occupation, the relationships, then the money, you can't take any of this stuff personal. A lot of people get upset when somebody yells at them or curses at them or sends them a nasty note or something like that. I don't take it personal. I just keep moving. That's always the key. 
is just a flat out. So what? Be happy, actually. Be happy yeah. somebody yell at you because now you're one step closer to the one that's going to say yes. And it still could be the one that yelled at you. Uh, sometimes they get that emotion out and then it turns around later on or a month goes by or two months goes by. They wind up hat in hand calling you back. There you go. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I haven't had too many hats in a hand as I, I think about it. I've done a few dozen, dozen, dozen closures and so forth, but you got to treat people as if they're family. You got to have, you don't want to cut a deal with somebody that you wouldn't cut with your brother, your sister, your mother, your uncle, your father, something of that nature. So yeah, you got to be good to people. Yeah, I got you. That you've never taken advantage of them. You feel good about it. They feel good about it. And there could be no outside scrutiny that disagrees with that. That is correct. What would you say has been the number one best negotiation lesson I've taught you? That you've taught me? Yeah. I think number one is to follow up. Follow up, follow up, follow up. To keep like those 85 letters, those 79 that I've tried, that kind of stuff. Just keep it going. I don't know so much as this negotiation thing, but you have to keep, you have to be persistent. You have to be consistent. I've heard that marketing is one in which, and here's one. You said that, I think when you were here in Greensboro last year, you talked about marketing being, having a budget of 6% for marketing. Well, yeah, I've learned that. I put my 6% out there. And then I've also put myself out there. I didn't wear my sweatshirt today. I buy houses. But when it comes to negotiation, I think that I'm pretty good at it. But I, you got to get in front of the people to talk to. Them. And that is why I came to you, to get in front of people. Excellent. Yeah, so much of the beginning parts of negotiation are the final parts of marketing. There's, there's they're an overlapping circle. And so what you're the consistency in the messaging you're putting out there in marketing is selecting the right people so that they're better teed up as you head into the negotiation. So it's all layered and connected. Yeah. And God gave us one of these and two of these. So one shut up and two listen. Ears. <laughs> <laughs> shut up <Yeah>. and listen. <laughs> shut up and listen. That is often the number of times I don't know what to say. I'm so afraid. Just ask a question. Ask yes. an open-ended question. There you hey, go. Tell me about the property and then zip it and listen. They'll say yeah. something. Or why are you selling? I mean, these aren't complicated questions, but they get the ball rolling and they start to loosen. They not just loosen the other person up, they loosen you up so that you're becoming more comfortable in the conversation with them if you're nervous at the beginning. Open-ended questions are the key. Not a yes or no circumstance. Are you going to sell? Yes or no? Well, you know, why do you like that color in the kitchen? Or, you know, I love your appliances in the kitchen and stuff like that. Are you going to sell those with the property that might be a yes or no, but at least you know now. <laughs> yeah, you know what you're dealing with. That makes a big difference. So you're doing 70 something different marketing techniques out of 85. I tell people there's 85 in there, not that you need to be doing all 85, but just so that my students can no longer say, well, I don't know what to do for marketing. Well, it's, nonsense. it's not a matter of what, it's which ones. And I'd like to see you run you know, three to six of them. So you're in the set, you're cracking through, making sure you get many of them running. What have you found from that level of testing? I mean, there's some that aren't working for you, some that are. Are you able to predict now or how have you gone about that? Prediction is hard. What I do is the, the deals that I've received of late have come from either realtors that I have relationships with, that I've built relationships with, 
I bought a house, Tom, in November that was all ed up with termites that had been raccoon infested and had been burned up. Didn't anybody know anything about it until I got the house inspected. But in terms of reaching out and talking to potential sellers, it has been mainly personal relationships. But I keep working those opportunities, keep sending off letters to attorneys, estate attorneys. I've even tried sending, it's kind of gory, but I send them to funeral homes as well. People in the neighborhood who are have for sale by owner signs out, things of that nature. And then in each case, there's letters within that 85. And I think, say, for instance, there might be seven different letters that are associated with vacant properties. I think I'm up to number seven in a lot of those cases. <laughs> well, yeah, I put together sequences because then the repetitions build in. Yes. So it, it's sure. Here's seven different letters for this one particular type of property, you know, be a probate or vacant or whatever yes. it happens to be. And then if you, when you set the repetition cycle, if that's monthly or every other month, depending on what it is, it just, it helps you drip out that consistency and people start to notice after a while yes. that I've got another letter from this Bob guy. Hmm, maybe I should think about it. Maybe I'll open it. Maybe I'll read it. Maybe I'll consider it. Maybe I'll actually pick up the phone and call him. And, you know, I was in Walmart a couple of weeks ago and I had on my T-shirt, we buy houses sort of thing. And yeah. somebody in line says, you're the person that's sending me those cards all the time. I said, <laughs> yes, where's your house at? And it was somebody that I'd never sent a letter to. And it's some competitor who's doing that. But the idea here is that they recognize who I was. I didn't make a deal with them, but I gave them my business card and I made sure that they knew who I was. Perfect. And I think the, that idea of always be marketing constantly, always be putting your name out there on, on your t-shirt and your marketing mailings. On the side of your car. In situations <laughs> on the side of the car. Yeah, yeah. That, that a car sign. You always want to be at least in that mind frame of marketing because you don't know where your next deal is going to come from. That is correct. It's very correct. And if you can continue to put yourself out there, put your business out there, create relationships. Lots of times there are newbies that come along and things of that nature. And they might run across something that you can purchase, that you can wholesale, that you can assign. And both of you get paid and the owner gets paid and everybody's happy. Yeah. The ability to have constant win, 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 and just win all around. Those types yeah. of situations are brilliant. Yeah. What would you say to somebody still sitting on the fence or off on the sidelines, debating whether or not they want to get moving and afraid to take the plunge. My father introduced me to somebody when I was a wee, wee little boy. Now you have young kids like in their teens and single digits, right? Yes. There's this guy and you know him well, Tom. His name is Mr. Needmore. <laughs> Your kids need shoes. They need clothes. They need heat. They need air conditioning. You live in Florida. They need all of these things. Mr. Needmore is waiting for both of us when we hang up this call. So what I would tell those people who are sitting on the fence and not wanting to jump into real estate, everybody needs a place to live. Even the hoarders, they need a place to hide stuff. Even the ones who don't have anything, 
even I dare to say, even a homeless person needs to rest their head someplace, sometime. What I'm saying here is, is that there is opportunities out there all over the place. And you need to be able to recognize those things and speak to them, speak to them in a win-win circumstance. Did you hesitate to join up with me? No. Why not? Like I said, I enjoyed your enthusiasm. I enjoyed when I came to, okay, so I met you in August of last year. And I like, number one, let's be honest, I like the price of the thing. I had a few dollars. I sold a couple properties. So I said, let me do this thing because I was able to understand the marketing side of it and the circles that you drew, the interconnections, interconnections of business. I always understood that. But when I came to D.C., that kind of sold me. I was ready to come to Florida, but we had some family issues that we needed to take care of. When I came to D.C. and I saw people from Denver, from Virginia, from New York, from North Carolina, from Tennessee, from Florida, I said, geez, you've got a little bit of juice going on here. I better grab hold a little bit tighter to this tail of the tiger and see what happens. Gotcha. All the you're talking about, you know, when you came to D.C. and you're going to come to Florida to my total traction intensives, yes. the ones that are in person. Yes. And those are. Yeah, designed to yeah, get you out there, get you meeting other people, seeing what's happening and keep it moving ahead. Well, we'll get you down the one in Florida soon. Absolutely. What did you get out of that as well? I mean, specifically, aside from meeting other people and seeing what was occurring in different parts of the country, how did it benefit you? Well, when we broke into small groups, one of the things that, and you can tell I'm a little long in the tooth here. My wife and I both work from home and our schedule is kind of, you know, hit and miss and stuff like that. And then we got this thing where we put our schedules on the phone and Google and all that kind of stuff. But we were having conflicts of schedules. And when we sat down in DC in a small group, one of the people, and I won't forget it, I said, well, how can I work with my wife so that we can become more coherent with our schedules and things like that? and get along and all that kind of stuff. She said, put it in your schedule. Make sure that on both ends, you got your Google schedule and you got a wall schedule. We have one in the kitchen. We have one in the bathroom. My wife puts schedules all over the place. But this, and I forget the lady's name right now, but she said, use IPA, income producing activities. So when I put that, like now, I consider this to be an income producing activity. So I put that in my schedule and my wife leaves me alone. <laughs> so it's yeah, important. yeah, because it's important and she knows, and, and I'll be quite honest with you years ago, when I first got involved in real estate, it goes back to another question that you talked about. Why spend some money with someone like yourself? Because you don't need to be the smartest guy in the room, but also you need to have people who are more educated, more experienced than you, that can push you in the right direction. And I think you're a pusher. You got a little bit of that push stuff into you, real estate wise. That's good. One thing I tell everybody in the program, I said, look, there are people upstream from you, further up the ladder. There's people behind you that are coming up the ladder. There's people at the same spot. You will learn from everybody and you also be able to help everybody 
back and forth up and down that chain. And it's, it's kind a of a two way street. It's a two way street. And that's something that is gives everyone a good sense of meaning, but also really helps you get a crisp focus on you. It's amazing that helping somebody else or talking about somebody else and their issues and trying to unlock them where they're at is actually just as helpful to you, even though you're solving someone else's problem. Yeah. And years ago, I spent a few dollars to get myself trained and have a mentor and so on and so forth. And my wife kicked my butt. <laughs> I still walk with a limp. But when I came home <laughs> with that first check, she said, do it again. And again and again and again. So I've been doing it. And, you know, I'm looking forward to paying the bills. I'm not looking to get rich. I'm not looking to get wealthy. I want my bills paid. I, want, I got grown children and grandchildren, a dog and a cat, and everybody fed warm in the winter and cool in the summer. Absolutely perfect. Any other words of advice, Bob? Keep up the good work, Tom. Keep sending those emails. I love Carolina. And, you know, not that way, but I love Carolina. She did a great job orchestrating meeting here last month or so. Uh, I think you were in D.C. on a family trip, something like that. But, you know, just keep up the good work. I mean, you know, it, it's you're different than me, but you're the same as me. And we both got a Cleveland tie there, too. That's true, too. Yeah, I went to college in Cleveland. <laughs> there you go. Cool. Awesome. Bob Irwin. Great to talk to you. Thank you for your candor. Thanks for being uh, very open and honest with uh, your answers. I appreciate it. Good. Cool. I hope to see us on HGTV. It sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> YouTube, at least. Oh, there you go. All right. Thank you, sir. Thanks for listening. Your next step is to visit TomZeeb.com. There you'll find full show notes for this episode and all past episodes. Make sure you download a free copy of the Deal Flow Maximizer. This free resource will show you the five key marketing elements to get your first five deals. And if you're enjoying this content, share it with a friend and leave us a rating and a review. We'll be sure to read those out on future episodes.